Welcome to the Cornerstone Corner, our weekly message podcast. At Cornerstone, we are enthusiastic about all ages, having an authentic relationship with Jesus, others, and our community. Join us as we open the Bible and hear God's Word for us today. All right, so with that, then we're going to jump into our teaching for the day. If you want to grab a Bible, you can turn to Joshua chapter 9. That's where we're going to land, Joshua 9. Uh, if you don't have a paper Bible and you'd like to use a paper Bible, there are paper Bibles spread throughout the auditorium by every other seat or so. You can grab one of those. Or you can simply go to sermons.church on a browser on your device. Search Cornerstone Church. Ours is the one with the little dash behind it. And uh, all the scriptures, fill in the blanks, and everything will be there for you today as uh, we get going. All right. And to get us started today, uh, today is October 1st. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I uh, when October 1st hits, I think of one thing. Some people think of like, Pumpkin spice lattes. Um, but Matt actually starts thinking about trick-or-treating, right? Trick-or-treating is just around the corner and uh, a few weeks for some kids. And by the way, if you have not decided to, we would love to have you be part of our Trunktastic event that's coming up in a few weeks. Uh, and for some of you, you could bring your kids, your grandkids, nieces, nephews, neighbors, whatever it is. Or we also need a lot of people to help pull that off. Um, so we need people to serve and to uh, provide trunks for the trunk or treat side of things. Uh, if you want to help, make sure you go to our website and register to help out, provide a trunk, serve in some way, um, those kind of things. But uh, it got me thinking this week, October 1st was going to be today, started thinking about trick-or-treating. And I loved trick-or-treating as a kid, um, but I also loved trick-or-treating as a dad. And it's because I always made, I was like so excited to like raid my kids' candy after they went trick-or-treating. And always I would grab these two right here, Milk Duds and Dots. Now, I know some of you can get on board with the Milk Duds. Others of you are thinking the Dots, we're going to pray for you after the service, all right? Right? But, uh, but I always, I love Milk Duds. I love Dots and those kind of things. My kids freely gave me the Dots, not so much the Milk Duds, those kind of things. But, right, so I love trick-or-treating as a dad, those kind of things. And so I bring up trick-or-treating today, not because of the candy, although the candy's great, but I want to bring up the trick-or-treating because of uh, not the treat side of things, but uh, of the, sec- the other part of that, which is the, tr- the, the trick side of things. Some of you might know this, but though this doesn't actually happen, when, when you go, when a child goes up and says trick-or-treat, the idea is that if the person answering the door doesn't give a treat, then that child can play a trick on the answerer of the door. Okay, now again, it doesn't happen. Kids are mostly great. Some of them are jerks, but otherwise, you know, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, right? So this doesn't happen, right? But, but the idea is, is that they would pull a trick on the person answering the door. Now, I, I start with that today uh, because the story that we are going to look at today for today's text involves for sure not a treat, but absolutely a trick is why I started thinking about trick-or-treating, okay? And what we're going to do today, we're going to look at a story about Joshua and the Israelites uh, where they actually, uh, there's a ruse, a trick that's pulled on them, and it really trips them up, uh, pretty significantly trips them up. Uh, And really, they should have been on guard against this, uh, but they were really not, and it really messes up a lot of things for them. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read and learn from them in order to do this. This is the idea. I'm going to tell you where we're going, and then we're going to get there. The idea is we want to do better than what we're going to read about today. The idea is we want to do better, learn from their mistakes, and do better than they did. And really to be, uh, to kind of go exactly where we're going, to be more on guard spiritually in our lives so that, w- so that ultimately we will not get duped and tricked in our life. How many of you would love to avoid some dupes and tricks in your life? 
I will, right? So that's the idea today. That's where we're going. We're going to discuss a couple of keys that they missed that we need in, in order to do so. And so you may already know this, but we are currently in a message series here at Cornerstone called Joshua, Living on the Edge of Victory, where what we're doing in this series is we're looking at the book of Joshua in the Old Testament and really the life uh, and the, the events covered there in, uh, about Joshua. And today we're going to explore being on guard. That's actually our title, Joshua, be on your Guard. And before we jump into deeply to that, I want to be very clear about what it's not going to be about today. Today is not going to be about us talking about being on our guard against other people. Okay. Now, sometimes that might happen, those kind of things. We might have to do some of that. But what I'm going to talk about today is more about being on guard spiritually. Because okay, we looked a few weeks ago, if you were here a few weeks ago in the end of the Rohi series, and we looked at Psalm 23, we talked about the fact that the Bible talks about that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, right? And so if you don't know, some of us know that there's a good spiritual realm, but some of us, I think, lack the reality sometimes that there's an evil spiritual realm. And so there's an evil spiritual realm, and so we're going to be talking today about how to be on guard against that. And it may involve different people here and there, but for the most part, we're going to talk about the spiritual realm, which I think will make sense as we walk through things today in Joshua chapter 9 and see ways Joshua and the Israelites were unguarded. They were not dwelling while guarding their spiritual lives uh, in the midst of them. They got tricked, all right? And so there's some things that we can uh, take from them to avoid. All right, a uh, little bit of context before we jump into the text. All right, so far in the book of Joshua, uh, although we didn't look at all of these stories, we've seen that the Joshua and the Israelites have crossed the Jordan River. They went over the Jordan River on dry ground, right? They fought and win the battle of Jericho with the help of God. He crashed the walls down, right? And then uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at their battle against the city of Ai. I actually did a message two weeks ago uh, on where they failed in that first attempt. And then Pastor Ryan did a message last week on when they uh, actually had victory in there. And uh, the, what we have to understand is that AI was not the last battle, right? They're, they're taking the promised land. So there were many battles still to fight, right? And so what happens and what we're going to see today is that all the kings of the hill country uh, on, the, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, they come together and they wage war upon the Israelites, specifically the Gibeonites. Everybody say Gibeonites, okay? Y'all are better than first service. That's good, all right? So the Gibeonites, they're going to be the ones we're going to focus on. They're the ones that play the trick upon Joshua and the Israelites and ultimately who they go unguarded against. And then it has some negative uh, ripple effects, all right? And so they were roost, all right? And so now I'm going to tell you up front, we're going to read a lot of text today, okay? Um, so you can read the whole chapter on your time. We're going to skip around just a little bit, but try to follow along as best as you can, all right? And so starting in verse 3 of Joshua 9, it says, However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. So here it is. It's going to lay it out. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the, of their bread, all the bread, I can't read, all the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Skip to verse 7. The Israel, they're going to start questioning this. The Israelites said, but perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt. Verse 12. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home. And on the day, can you see it? You hear it? They're telling stories. 
right? This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that, that we were filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were their neighbors living near them. Verse 22. And Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you while actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all the inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. Verse 27, that's the last one. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide the needs of the altar of the Lord at that place the Lord would choose. And that is where what they are to this day. So a lot of text there, but a trick, not a treat indeed. Right, very, very much a trick that, by the way, created some serious challenge for Joshua and the Israelites that they then had to deal with from that point on. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Something, again, that they should have been on guard against, which we'll pick apart today, uh, but weren't. Um, and something that uh, could have been avoided if they would have been. And so I wanna, what I want to do today is I want to draw out a couple of keys from that particular long text of, of Scripture. And uh, of, again, some things that they missed that I would, gosh, I want my, my life. I don't want to miss those things. I don't want you to miss those things. And ultimately, I don't want you to get tricked in life. I want you and I to be truly, quote unquote, on guard. Okay? And so I think there's some things in here for us today. Uh, but before I give those to you, I want to pause and pray. So if you would pray with me, and then I'll give you some things to write down and think about. So let's pray. So God, we, uh, we pause for a moment. And just, just remember uh, the song that we just sang about the fact that we uh, cry holy, holy, holy to you, uh, God Almighty. And uh, that ultimately, uh, that we're here today so that you can feel uh, praise, honored, and glory, glorified, God, and get all, all of that. And we pray, God, that, that even as we look into this text now, Joshua chapter 9, that you, oh God, would do something among us that would create more of you in us. God, that you would make our hearts, our minds, our souls sticky and supernatural things would stick to us. That we'd be more like Jesus as a result of our time together. God, that we would be better in some ways, I guess this is a way to say it, that we'd be better than the Israelites and Joshua in this chapter. Um, and we, God, would avoid tricks and that we would be in a place where we can be guarded well so that we would live the life that you want us to live. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, two things we see from the text where Joshua and the Israelites became, quote-unquote, what I'm calling unguarded today, all right, and what we can learn from them. Here's the first one. Joshua became unguarded by entertaining something off the table. You can write that in. Entertaining off something off the table. Now, to truly understand this, it's actually going to come from verse 15 of the text, but I'm also going to bring in a, a, a verse from the book of Exodus that will actually make this come full circle for us, right? So let's look, just to remind us, uh, verse 15 says, then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by, by oath. And so basically, it's pretty simple, like we just read it at face value. He made a treaty with the Gibeonites, okay? 
Now, we know that, that because we got to read the whole story, right? We get to actually kind of have an overview of looking in, right? We knew this was a ruse, right? This was a trick by them. But the Israelites and Joshua, they didn't know that. They got duped, okay? They got, they got, by the way, we've, we've all gotten duped, right? And, and so they, like, it just happens, right? And so those kind of things. But, but what we need to understand is, though, is that God had instructed the Israelites back in the book of Exodus to not do that. They were actually told to not make a treaty with anyone that wasn't an Israelite. Okay, let's look at it. Exodus chapter 23 says, 32 through, and 33, I will, give you into, I will give into your hands the people who live in the land. It's talking about the promised land. This is what Joshua is taking them into, right? Right? Leading them into and through the promised land, and, I, and you will drive them out before you. And here it is. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they, listen to this, this is the cause, they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. And so what we have to understand is that though in the midst of this we could read and say, oh, it's no big deal, they just made a treaty with people, they're just being friendly and nice. No, God told them, instructed them not to do that. He told them not to do it with anyone because, why? Because it was only going to create more sin. How many of you know God doesn't like sin? Right? It was only going to create more sin and false worship of other gods. He's a God that's kind of jealous. He doesn't want any other gods to get, because all those are fake. He's the only one true God. He doesn't want false worship, right? And so Joshua was entertaining something that really should have never even been considered. It was off the table. And yet he did. Now, to be fair, this was a pretty elaborate ruse. Okay? Again, read back over the, the text again. I mean, that got the, like, moldy bread. Right and, and the cracked wineskins. It was a pretty good ruse, but they added into this because what they should have said is, this is a non-starter. They should have said, listen, we've been told by God, the creator of heaven and earth, by the way, you see that in the Old Testament all the time, we've been told by God, the creator of the heavens and earth, that this is not what we're supposed to do, and they should have said, sorry, not sorry, hashtag. Amen. Right? They should have said, sorry, not sorry. God, God told us what to do. But instead, Joshua entertained the idea, and he eventually gave in something that should have never been even considered in the first place. It was off the table. And so now you might be thinking, okay, Matt, I get that. That makes sense. Now that I know the text in Exodus, all kind of stuff. And so what does that mean for me? Let me bring this into the room. And we're going to spend quite a few minutes on this today. Um, I think the lesson for us, folks, is this, that we can take from Joshua here and the Israelites, is that spiritually, what they should have done, and what we should do, folks, spiritually, we need to remember what God has already said. Now, this may not make a whole lot of sense to you until I get farther in this, but, but we have to remember what God has already said. And what God has said, then out of that, we make decisions on that, and we don't fudge on those decisions because God has already told us what to do. Does that make sense? Okay. James 1, 23 through 25 says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. By the way, that's weird. Like if you read that and you like actually literally play that out, like, you, like I looked in the mirror this morning and I looked really great. <laughs> but like I, I know what I look like, right? I, I don't forget what I look like. And yet what this is saying is if we actually read what God has said, and we forget about it and make different decisions. It's like us forgetting what we look like. It's almost ridiculous, is it not? Like we know that, right? And then it goes on. It says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Come on, somebody who wants more of that, yep. right? Who gives freedom and can, continues, continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard. Look at this. But doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. 
And so what we have to do is we have to know and remember what God has already said. He has given us the word of God. It's, it's the, the, the Bible actually tells, says of itself that it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. We've been told how to live life in the Bible. He's already said it. We just have to remember what he said, amen? amen. And from what he said, then base our lives on that. And even when we're tempted to go a different way, go back to what he's already said. We have to go back to what he's already said. And so that's the first part of it is we, he's already said some things and we need to remember that. The second thing is, is um, folks, we need to actually uh, re- remember and realize that we have an enemy of our soul, the devil. And he is crafty. I don't want to give him any credit because I hate him, but, but he's crafty, right? And what he'll do is, is, what he'll do is make, uh, make you kind of question like, well, did God really say that? By the way, that happened in the Garden of Eden. Right? And so did God really say that? And what he'll do is he'll, he'll kind of trick us into compromising. And, and likely, here's what happens, happens in my life sometimes, is that like, like Adam and Eve, it's like, it's not like the entire, they didn't say, oh, well, God's an idiot. They said, oh, well, God just doesn't want us to do. And they, they decided to compromise on the one thing God told them to do. Like, so God won't convince you, or the, the enemy won't convince you that, that the, the entire Bible is wrong, just maybe this part and that part. By the way, we're hearing that today. And so here's what I want to do because of the fact that, the, that, that ultimately we got to remember and, and the enemy tries to get us to compromise just on these small little things. By the way, I wrote in my notes this way, that the enemy tries to uh, tempt us to keep a little corner of our lives for ourselves. Is that not true? And so because of that, here's what I want to do over the next few minutes together. I, I want to actually look at some things that we're seeing today culturally in which many Christians and people, I think, are forgetting what God has already said. Kind of like the Israelites and Joshua here, they're forgetting what God said in Exodus. By the way, Exodus happened a long time ago, right? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? And so, it, but God has already said that. And I think some people, some Christians are forgetting what God has already said. By the way, some things that are just off the table. There's just some things off the table, and we need to remember what God has already said. Now, I'm going to tell you something before I go through this, is that, by the way, this is not Matt's opinion. This is what God has said, okay? And so here's what we, here's what we see. Uh, I, culturally, I have heard Christians say things like, honestly, Pastor Matt, like cussing is no big deal. Like it's just a way for me to express how I feel. How many of you know God's already talked about that? Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any, by the way, the word any is any, right? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Can I tell you something? When you're cussing and you're doing those kind of things, it's benefiting no one, not even yourself. I don't know how many Christians talk to me like, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. God said it's off the table. I'm going to yell a little bit. God has said it's off the table. But guess what we do? We like to have that little corner of ourselves. We want to say, no, it's okay. It's okay. What about this? Uh, I've heard people say, gosh, okay, so with friends, like, Matt, Pastor Matt, it is no big deal who I hang out with. It's not a big deal. But God has actually covered that too. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Amen. So God's saying, it matters who you hang out with. It's a matter who you surround yourself with. Or how about this one? Maybe you're in a conflict with somebody and you go, gosh, I'm done. They're dead to me. How many of us have been in those situations? Hey, do you know God covers that too, right? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, those of you here that are Christians, followers of Jesus, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself. By the way, praise God for that. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And here it is, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Folks, I want to tell you something. If you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to him, you and I don't get to opt out of reconciling with people. We don't get to say, you're dead to me. Ha! How many like that one? Right? We don't get that option. By the way, here, here's why. That's not just Matt's opinion. How many of you know that God could look at you and say, no? God loved you enough to send a son to, to die for you and for me. I'm telling you, I'm going I'm to yell today a little bit. Pastor Ryan's going like, to give me a, like, a sign, like, calm down. <laughs> like, I'm so grateful that God didn't look at me and go, you're dead to me. <sighs> How many times have I sinned to this week that God could have said, you're dead to me, Matt? That's what you're going to do? Ooh, I love when I can hear a pin drop in the room. This is getting real, isn't it? Okay, let's talk. Okay, let's go on. How about this one? How about uh, I, I, I hear people say, uh, Pastor Matt, debt's just part of life. It's no big deal. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm just going to rack up that debt and, and to get that boat and do this. Or da, da, da. How many of you know God talked about debt? Yep. Jeremy's on fire this morning. Right? <laughs> All right, Proverbs 22, 7 says, the borrower is slave to the lender. Folks, we are not meant to be enslaved by debt. Or how about this one? Spiritually, I don't, oh, you, some of you have heard this one. I don't need church. It's just a relationship between me and God. How many of you heard that one before? Right? God talks about that too. Hebrews 10, 25 says, do not, there it is again, do not give up meeting together somewhere in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are not meant to do this life alone with Jesus. We actually need to be in community with you. Yes, it's a relationship with you and Jesus, but gosh, we need this community, folks. God tells us that we need this community. Don't give, can, I, can I tell you something? The average attendance now uh, at, at church is, uh, is like one out of five weeks. How many of you know that's going to affect your soul? All right. So if those didn't, uh, let, let me get to, those ones weren't the controversial ones yet. <laughs> so here we go. Now, before I give you some of the controversial ones, I want to say this. I want to say that the reality is I know some of the things I'm about ready to talk about need a lot of relationship. By the way, we're about relationship here. And probably likely some more conversation. And, uh, and we would, Pastor Ryan and I would love to meet with anybody that wants to talk through this stuff, those kind of things. But again, I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm just giving you the Bible. Okay? So I've heard Christians, lots of Christians, especially in the last decade, say this. Well, well gosh, living together, Pastor Matt, like everybody's doing it now. And you know, it's financially responsible. Because it helps us financially. How many of you heard that one? Right? Talk about this. The God, God has already said something. Right? Oh, I put it in my notes. Some people go, why wouldn't I test drive it before I buy the car? By the way, it's a really crappy way to view this. Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God's already God already told us that this is not, this is off the table. Or how about this one? This one's a weird one. You, uh, some of the staff are like, I've never heard that before, but I've heard this as a pastor. Um, hey, uh, yeah, we know that looking at pornography is bad, but, but as a married couple, we're doing it together. So at least we're doing it together. Isn't that weird? I've heard that, right? But how about this? Matthew 5, 28 says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's off the table. Or how about this one? This one's kind of a hot topic right now. There are many genders. Genesis 127. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God has already said, not many, but male and female. Though I know, right, that there are real and, and thoughts and feelings on the contrary of that. By the way, again, Ryan and I would love to talk about that. If you want to do that, any staff, those kind of things. But God has said, not many, male and female. Or how about this one? Same-sex attraction is just natural. It's the way some people were born. <laughs> Romans 1, 26 through 27 says, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural, there's that word, natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men. See, we need to remember that God has already said something here. And then finally, maybe another one, and this one's also a little bit weird. Uh, I've heard people say, oh, Pastor Matt, smoking weed is okay. But how many of you know the world is saying that this is normal? Right? The world is saying this is normal. And they're like, it's no big deal. But again, we've, God has already said something. First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, with your minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And I will tell you this, folks, it is imp- like the reality is, is that some people are like, well, it's just like drinking. It's no big deal. Like you can drink and not get drunk. But here's the reality. You cannot smoke weed and not get high. It's not possible. So God has already said what to do. It is off the table. Now, again, I want to say, I know that a lot of, some of those are very controversial. And again, I want to reiterate the fact that we, we know there's lots of conversation and, and all those kind of things. But do you, see, do you see how Satan tries to get us and entice us culturally to compromise, folks? Man, the enemy is real and he's crafty. And, and it's like, well, I just want to just, just kind of like take one step over here. One step over there. But God has already said, and so we, we rather than uh, saying, doing what God has said, we, we don't deny the whole Bible, but we, we uh, here we just fudge on it here or there, rationalize this, disregard that, create our own view of what should and shouldn't be done based on what we think and feel. By the way, so many thoughts and feelings are wrong. By the way, it says your heart is deceitful above all things in Scripture. And so we need to, folks, what we need to do is we need to not, like what really uh, Joshua and the Israelites needed to not entertain something that God already said is off the table, lest we become unguarded and open ourselves up. In my notes, I actually, I was trying to like list something. I was like, open ourselves up to, I'm like, God knows what. If, if, we, if we actually entertain things that God has already said off the table, then what are we opening ourselves up to? I don't want to find out. You see, let's go back to the story, right? When when now the Gibeonites are now having to live among these people, right? Because the treaty has been made. They're having to live among these people. What the scripture tells us is because they've made this concession, there's now going to be more sin among them. And not only is there going to be more sin among them, another sin is that they're going to worship their false gods. Folks, I want to tell you something in our lives. The more that we go away, uh, the, the more that we go away from what God has already said, sin is going to become real in our life. And I want to avoid all sin as much as possible. We're all fallible. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to sin. But gosh, I want to live a life. There's actually a, a, a biblical, uh, like theological term called sanctification. It means to make holy, to set apart. And I want God to do a sanctifying work inside Matt Porman's soul that I become more holy than just living in my own world and what I want to actually rationalize. And I know, look, 
I know that this is a tough topic today, and uh, I always can feel it when like I don't hear a sound in the room. <laughs> but but I think this is really really important. And so the question is this: Am I rationalizing? This is what we have to ask ourselves. Am I rationalizing, disregarding, or creating my own view of something God has already said is off the table? A tough question to ask today. But I think an important one, folks, this is an important question. If we want to not go off in no man's land spiritually, we have to ask ourselves, and we're going to have time to do this at the very end today. Am I rationalizing, disregarding, or creating my own view of something that God has already said is off the table? I think this could have fixed Joshua and the Israelites' situation. Again, let's go back to James 1.25. It says, but whoever looks intently, that's important, looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what we have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so essentially we need, that's where we want to be. That's what we have to, like, right? That's, that's what we want in our life. And this actually says that if we do that, if we look intently at that and walk out that stuff, then we'll be blessed. I think sometimes... Uh, it's important for us to think through are we rationalizing stuff that God has already said is off the table. I think it's what put Joshua and the Israelites in this position to being on guarded. Uh, they, and this would just kind of recap point one, they entertained something off the table. And so our question this morning is, are we? Are we entertaining anything that God said is off the table? I think it's an important question to ask. All right, so that's our first point. Second point, I got to get going here. All right, Joshua became unguarded by not crossing his T's. Not crossing his T's. Let me explain what I mean by that in verse 14. It says this. It says, the Israelites, including Joshua, sampled their provisions. And then here's what we're going to focus on. But did not inquire of the Lord. Did not inquire of the Lord. They didn't pray. And so when I say they became unguarded by not crossing uh, his T's, I mean he, he didn't stop and ask God about what was going on. Hey, hey God, should I, should I make this treaty with these people? Should I not make this treaty with these people? What should I do? I mean, so yeah, he entertained this thing, but maybe if he would have paused and prayed for a minute uh, and, and said, hey, God, should I do this? God would have been like, yo, bro, Joshua, because that's how God talks to Joshua. You didn't know. He would have been like, yo, bro, Joshua, don't do this, bro. Don't do it. This whole mess could have been averted if you would have simply paused and prayed, but instead Joshua left God out of it, and a sticky situation resulted. Because again, as I mentioned, now these people had to live with them for the rest of their days in the, in the promised land, and they were going to bring more sin and false worship into their lives. And folks, what I want us to get out of this point is our lives, folks, will get stickier and stickier and messier and messier if we leave God out of our, our decisions. If we leave God out of our decisions, it's going to get sticky. And the reality is, is God will tell us, uh, can tell us, will tell us, maybe he'll remind us what's in scripture, or maybe he'll give us direction if we ask him, if we are attentive to him. God speaks, says in Isaiah 30, 21, it says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. He will, he will tell us what to do if we pay attention to him, include him in our plans. And actually, this is a command, those of us in the, in the room that are followers of Jesus, Matthew 26, 41 says, watch and pray so that, why? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Be guarded by prayer is what this is saying. Pray and stumble less. I don't know about you, I would like to stumble less. Colossians 4, 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And the first Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray continually. What that means is never stop, never stop crossing this T. Don't leave God out. 
Because when we include God in our decision-making, here's the reality. God might actually prevent us from falling off of a cliff. If we include God in the process, he might prevent us from falling off a cliff. I was thinking about this. How many cliffs could Joshua and the Israelites not have fallen into if they would have just taken a moment right here and actually included God, inquired about God? Hey, should we do this or not? But they invited a whole slew of things because they didn't, one moment, they didn't pray and ask God. They didn't consult God. And so then I was thinking, okay, what about, how does that work in our lives? How many times does this kind of stuff happen to us? So how many times do we say yes to something, and then it adds more stress and anxiety and frustration, and then when we think back, we go, ah, I never asked God about that. All right, in case you don't think that that happens to you, let me, let me kind of run through a couple of scenarios. For example, like in projects at work, nobody steps up, so you say yes. Or you go, I got to look good in front of the rest of the employees, so I have to say yes. By the way, you're already low, overloaded. So you say yes, and that adds more frustration. How about, uh, how about this? It can happen when we're helping other people. When we say yes, when we've already stretched ourselves really thin, and I put it in my notes this way, but people-pleasing is an art that is mastered. Some of you have art, <laughs> mastered the art of people-pleasing. And so then you're, you're frustrated, you buckle down. Or how about this? It can happen in events and being a part of things. And because we have FOMO, fear of missing out, we say yes to things. And, and then all we're doing is waiting for the person to actually hopefully cancel the event. That happens, right? Or it can happen in relationships where you're starting relationships and you're jumping in and you're not, uh, we're not assessing whether this is somebody that we really want our lives to be attached to or not. Friendship is significant. How many times do we say yes to things that then just produce stress, anxiety, frustration? I think it happens all the time because we never ask God enough. And so because I know that it's really easy, I know it's easy in my life, I'm, I'm guessing it's easy in yours. I wanted to... Uh, share with you a phrase today that, uh, that I found really helpful to help me be better at this, right? And here's the phrase. It'll come up on the screen. Can I pray about that and get back to you? And, and here's why I give that to you. I, it was modeled from somebody in my life before, and I caught on to it. Because here's what, when I am smart enough to actually use this phrase, can I pray about that and get back to you? Uh, nine times out of ten, the person's like, absolutely. So, I mean, like, I mean, that one time somebody's like, no, you crazy freak. No, but like, right? But like most of them are saying, yeah, absolutely, right? And so what that does is, one, that's nice because they give you the time, but then it slows down my decision-making process, and it allows me to actually pray. By the way, don't use this as a cop-out, right? But like to actually pray. And what happens is when I seek God, who actually is inside of me by the Holy Spirit, he can actually tell me, he can remind me of maybe a scripture that has already made the decision, or he can give me direction. And so here's what I want you to do this way. I want you to give that a try. Can I pray about that and get back to you? And see what changes. Like, what if, like I was thinking, what if Joshua would have, would have done that? What if Joshua would have done that? Can I say that it probably would have brought a different outcome? When I actually do this, I, I think I end up in different outcomes than when I don't. Can I pray about that and get back to you? And, and actually, um, I'm going to kind of close this point down. You guys can come on up. We're getting ready to close, but... The idea here in this point is this. I think, folks, we need to ask more questions, ponder longer, research harder. But if I can say it this way, we need to pray extra. Actually, write that on your handout. Pray extra. Just pray extra. Ask God questions. But not only ask God questions, but we have to listen for the answers. 
I was actually recently uh, listening to a podcast, and I can't remember the exact podcast I was listening to, uh, but there was a prominent theologian, I can't remember which one, but he, but he was uh, doing this interview and those kind of things, and then he was doing a, kind of a, a Q&A afterwards. But in his presentation, he shared with the people that he, uh, in his prayer time, he prays for about three hours every day. And three hours is a lot. And so one of the people got up and said, man, that's a lot of time. And, and like when I do my prayer time, I'm really intentional with that. And, and, and uh, usually, though, it takes me, like, if, I, if I'm just saying everything I need to say to God, I, I can get that done in about 30 minutes. And so I don't know how you fill up another two and a half hours. And, and this theologian, he said, listen, like, um, actually, you and I are fairly, fairly similar. He goes, when I, when I spend my time in prayer, I'll take the first 30 minutes and I'll talk to God. And, and I'll say what I need to say, and I'll pray the prayers that I need to pray. The difference between you and me is then I take the next two and a half hours and I just listen. When was the last time you took two and a half hours to listen for God? I thought that was incredible. And so what I think we need to do more of is to pause and, and to ask God the questions, but also listen for the answers. I, I think that we can cross this T and actually pray to a God, by the way, God cares about every aspect of your life. And so you're not going to bug God by taking those little things to God. He's big enough to handle them. Okay? But I think if we can do this, is a great lesson that we can learn that they didn't do, Joshua and the Israelites did not do, they did not pause and ask God if they would have, they would have they would have avoided some serious mess, folks. I think that all of us could avoid some serious mess if we would just stop and pray. So that's our second point today. Joshua became unguarded by not crossing his T's, not talking to God. I have in my notes, let's not do the same. Let's not make that mistake. Let's talk to God. So that brings us to a close this morning. Well, we pray that you enjoyed the message today. We pray that it was challenging and that the Spirit has stirred something new in you today. Have a blessed week.